like a lot of us had come under this attack in our minds where it was difficult for us to be ourselves recently. And, and not just be ourselves, but really re- release and, uh, the nature of, of who we really are and communicate who we are and, and just be free to be ourselves. Anybody, anybody feeling that recently? Yeah, it, I think it's, uh, <clears throat> I think a lot of the breaking happened during worship because Jesus is just that good. But I also feel like that's, a, that's actually a sign of a promotion that's coming, that the enemy is, is terrified because we're all about to be ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> the best thing he can, you know, the best trick he has is, is try to make us afraid of failure or afraid to be ourselves. But it, really, when we, uh, when we all step into that place where we're completely ourselves, amazing things are going to happen. It says that the, the earth is, is groaning and crying out for the sons of God to be revealed. That's us. All of creation is groaning. And, you know, we want Jesus to come back, but he's living inside of us. All of creation is groaning for you to be revealed, for you to be fully yourself. Um, <clears throat> no one thought David was going to take out Goliath with a, a slingshot, but that's what he was good at, using a slingshot. So I feel like the Lord is going to be releasing us to be ourselves, but let's just pray that right now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd anoint us. Father, that you'd break off all striving. Father, every ounce of, uh, every ounce of performance. Father, I ask that you'd, you'd even break off um, all those attempts we make to uh, emulate someone else. Father, because they're anointed or because they're cool. Lord, I ask that we would be free to be completely ourselves. And Jesus, we want you so badly in this community. We want that accepting Father. We want that powerful love of a king and a father in this room, in our hearts, in our families, in our church, and in our city. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and do a transforming work right now in our hearts. God, that you break off all, all disappointment and all fear of failure. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have a, uh, a, simple, a simple message for you today that I felt like the Lord wanted us to go through. Um, if you want to open up your Bibles to Luke 9, we're going to be hanging out there today. <clears throat> um. When I, when I speak, I'm usually asking the Lord to uh, anoint me with his love. And how can, how can I really love these people? How can I really show, um, show them the Father's love? And um, <clears throat> because when we get that, when we get free from shame, it's a domino effect and everything else falls into place in our life. And Jesus, his favorite thing to do right off the bat is to free people from shame. He loves finding the most bitter places and turning them sweet. 
That was his first miracle that, you know, that he did when the, when the Israelites left Egypt. Uh, he surrounded himself with women named Mary. He had three best friends named Mary, which means bitterness. And we see that in their lives, they all turn sweet by the end. So um, <clears throat> when I speak, I, I really want to communicate the love of the Lord and his gentleness. And I know that sometimes uh, I probably miscommunicate. So if I ever say anything that just tweaks you wrong, please just talk to me. Send me an email because I really, I really want to portray the heart of the Father really, really well. Does that make sense, y'all? Cool. I'm just being transparent. I figure that's a good thing to be in church. <laughs> Jeremy at HawesDallas.com <clears throat> backslash complaints <laughs> backslash I think you're a heretic. <clears throat> uh, okay, Luke 9 is this really cool chapter where uh, it's, almost, it's almost like a book in and of itself. And in the beginning, uh, Jesus sends out the 12, which is a terrifying day for the enemy because uh, he's sending out people that are ill-equipped, recently converted, full of all sorts of gnarly critters still, I'm sure. Uh, We're going to see that played out. I'll explain that. But he sends out these 12 men to go tear down the domain of a brilliant, maniacal, evil leader who's been in charge for thousands of years, and his name is Satan. And his, and his kingdom, he's not a king, his domain is falling at the hands of weak, broken vessels who simply know the name of Jesus, who simply know his love. It's a terrifying day for the enemy. And so <clears throat> the 12 go out, and they're displaying the real kingdom, a different kingdom, and, and the domain of darkness is run on sickness and fear and shame. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so <clears throat> when the 12 went out, they were undoing all of that, reversing the effects of that and showing that people can live in that themselves. And so they were healing the sick casting out demons. Uh, they may have raised the dead uh, in this, but we don't know for sure. It doesn't say. But they were, they were performing miracles, various signs and wonders in the name of Jesus and displaying the real kingdom and the real love of the Father. So that's at the beginning of Luke 9. And then uh, Peter, we see Peter's confession of Christ. That's a cool moment for Peter. And everyone else. <laughs> and then there's the transfiguration. And Peter, James, and John go up on this mountain with Jesus. And, and a little bit of uh, insight into their community. Um, Jesus had, you know, 120. He had hundreds of people that would follow him around that would be considered disciples. He had 12 that were really close, you know, the ones that he picked out to be apostles, uh, the ones that he is planning on using to build, you know, the first century church and every church after that. And then within those 12, he had three that were even closer. It was Peter, James, and John. They were, uh, they, they probably had really good chemistry. You know, they were good friends. They got each other's humor. You know, they were the ones that were, were paired up uh, because they were destined to be. Um, it, and 
I think it's a good way to run your own life. Um, if you were to have, <clears throat> if you were to try to have an intimate relationship with 12 or, or 15 people or, or 20 people, it'd be really, really difficult, and you might be unfruitful with your time. But you can have a lot of acquaintances and people that you love, but you know that there's like three people that you're linked up with forever. Three people that you have chemistry with, that you have, you know, and so you share the intimate details of your life. They know everything about you. You know everything about them. And for Jesus, that was Peter, James, and John. And we see that Peter, James, and John are included in um, several uh, cool moments or given insights that the rest weren't. Um, And that was Jesus being really effective with his time. He was putting a lot of his nature into this core group. And so here we see again, Peter, James, and John, they go, uh, let's start reading in verse 28. This is Luke 9, 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, James, and John with him and went up to a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Whoa. That's insane. This is, this is a man that is just a normal Jewish guy, uh, born in the Middle East, Bethlehem to be precise, and he has, he has a body just like us. And it even says in Isaiah 53 that he had no beauty that we should desire him. He had no comeliness that we should desire to look upon him. Holy Spirit, come like a wind. (laughs) They had no PA system in the upper room, the outpouring of Pentecost, so I'm sure the rushing wind sounded different than that. Um, So Jesus is just this normal-looking guy that Peter, James, and John have been around for days and months. They've seen him. They've... They know him. He's, just, he's, he's one, of the, one, of the, one of the guys. He's also Jesus. Um, he's the leader and the son of God. But he is a man that they're used to hanging out with. And then all of a sudden, his face changes. The appearance of his face is morphing. He is, he is straight up X-Menning right now. That, that morphing person in x I mean, his... And, and instead of being this guy that has no beauty that we should de- desire to look upon him, he is now accessing the glory of his true nature that he had before the foundations of the world. When he was seated at the right hand of God, he's the most beautiful thing on, in all the universe. And he, and he left that and took the form of a servant, an ugly one at that. I'm serious. This is, tr- this is crazy humility. He's, he came as the king of the universe, but he made sure that he had nothing in the natural to lead people to him. He came as an ugly dude. And then all of a sudden, his face is now changing, and they're seeing the true beauty and glory that Jesus possesses. And I bet he's getting this like big masculine jaw, and maybe his biceps are pumping up. <clears throat> he's starting to look like Hugh Jackman. <laughs> I 
And then his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Now, the Bible does not exaggerate. That means that his, his, his face is now beautiful and his body is as bright as, as pure energy. And he's becoming, he's becoming who he is, which is a gate between heaven and earth. It's quite possible that if, Moses, if, uh, if uh, Peter, James, and John wanted to, they may have like, walked at him and entered into heaven through his body. Because he's the gate, right? He's the door. He became so brilliant, it would be like poking a hole in a black sheet of construction paper and holding it up to the sun. And, and he's now shining through. He's representing the place and the person that he really is in this moment, and Peter, James, and John are there to see it. Isn't that cool? Um, And I I don't believe that he was actually just saying, I'm Jesus, I'm beautiful, look at me. It's really true, I am the Son of God. I believe that he walked up on that mountain as a man, as the guy that they're used to being around all the time and transfigured in front of them to show them that they can too. That's the true nature of a believer. That we really are going to shine out as bright as the dawn. That our righteousness will be a blazing torch, as it says in Isaiah 60. And 61 too. Arise and shine for your light has come. This isn't... This isn't uh, and it actually worked. There's a guy shortly after Jesus' death and ascension that stepped into this. Anybody know his name? Stephen. When he was surrounded by people that were about to kill him, it says, first of all, that they couldn't stand up against his wisdom. This is Stephen. We have no... The, he, he wasn't even included among like the, the top of the top. He was like a table waiter. But Stephen, now this uneducated man, most likely, is eloquently unveiling Jesus through Scripture from the beginning to there. How does he doing that? He, he's giving, the Holy Spirit came on him, and he's giving prophetic testimony to Jesus eloquently through Scripture. It's so wise that the most studied people cannot stand up against his wisdom. And then it says his face shone like that of an angel. Stephen stepped into it. <clears throat> okay, so Peter, James, and John, and Jesus are up there. Uh, this is verse 30. Uh, his clothes became as bright as flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus, and they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Whoa, this just got even more cray cray. Moses, <clears throat> Moses and Elijah are like the two rock stars of, of Israel's history. You know, they didn't have necessarily celebrities, uh, you know, like we do today. You know, you can be, be made famous because of YouTube or having a screaming cat video. You know, you <laughs> there's all sorts of ways to be famous nowadays. We have TV, we have newspapers. But back then they had like written an oral tradition that was passed down. Moses and Elijah are, I mean, they're the, they're the rock stars of, of history. <clears throat> and now they're standing with, you know, three guys that were 
just recently pulled out of menial jobs. They're probably foul-mouthed fishermen. <laughs> and it's, it's Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And Moses and Elijah have showed up because they're talking about Jesus' departure. Verse 32, first of all, how many of you guys think that would change kind of your aspect in life? And just <clears throat> a few, a few uh, problems would be not problems anymore. They'd be straightened out. They'd come right into <laughs> alignment. <clears throat> I would think so. Okay, this is verse 32. I love the Bible. It says, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but, when, but then they became fully awake. <laughs> When they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. <clears throat> As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> Let us put up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. <laughs> so there's Peter again, just the impulsive uh, talk before he thinks kind of guy. You know, he, he walked up to that mountain probably thinking, you know, why is Jesus guys doing this? It's one in the morning, you know. We could be praying down at the bottom of the mountain, Jesus. <laughs> this is a lot of hiking. And they're, they're kind of groggy. And then all of a sudden, bam, Jesus is transfigured, shining like lightning. And then boom, boom, Moses and Elijah are there and their eyes <laughs> are like this. And Peter's like, it's good for us to be here. Let me put up three tents for you if you like. And <laughs> he did not know what he was saying. Verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the, cl- as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. So Peter is in the middle of saying something stupid when the very presence of God descends in a cloud. And it's almost as if God has to interrupt Peter. (laughs) And, uh, And there's... They're in this incredible experience. They're in, a, they're in the cloud, the glory cloud of the presence of God with Moses, Elijah, and the Son of God. And a voice comes from the cloud that's shaking, booming, shatter the oaks of Lebanon and twist the cedars. Voice of God is now booming all around them, saying, this is my son. Listen to him, Peter. <laughs> Stop talking and listen to him. <laughs> <clears throat> the disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. Okay. This is, this is just an insane encounter. Jesus changes. Moses and Elijah show up. Peter says, let me put up some tents. A cloud descends. Voice comes from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And then it's over faster than it began. And there's Jesus again, and his clothes aren't shining like lightning. They're back to the brown clothing covered in donkey and camel dust. And, and there he is. They're just standing on that mountain, like shaking probably. 
The next day, when they came down the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. The spirit seizes him, and suddenly he screams and it throws him to convulsions. He foams at the mouth. Scarcely, it scarcely ever leaves him, and it is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Okay, so Jesus sends out the 12 to go do all these miracles, and, and I'm sure they're displaying the kingdom, you know, pretty much regularly, you know, day in and day out. And so Peter, James, and John are up on this mountain. And so one of the other 12, one of the nine, one of the nine or some of the nine were not able to drive out this demon because we know it wasn't Peter, James, and John, and Jesus was on the mountain with them as well. And so at this point, Peter, James, and John didn't say, well, Jesus, let me take care of that. You know, you know we're, we're empowered and, and gifted. And none, none of them tried to do that, right? Jesus has to, you know, confront them about their faith, and then he drives out the demon with a word. The boy falls to the ground, convulses, the demon comes out of him. And then all the disciples that couldn't cast out a demon were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And it wasn't just like a, a mindless argument. It says that a reasoning arose among them. So they were actually giving, like, structured arguments as to why I'm greater than you in, in the kingdom. And this happened right after, you know, the, the 12 went out. And so they're probably, they're probably basing their greatness on, you know, miracles that they've pulled off, things that they've seen. And so Bartholomew is like, you know, when, when, we, when we went out displaying the kingdom, guys, I ran into uh, a man that had no arm. When I laid hands on him, an arm grew out. That is a creative miracle. So clearly, I'm the greatest in the kingdom. And then Matthew you know, jumps in. He's like, Bartholomew, that testimony is amazing, brother. But when I was out displaying the kingdom, I ran into uh, a person that had both of his legs chopped off, and he couldn't speak. <clears throat> And so when I, when I prayed for him, we saw not only did his legs grow out, but he stood up and started doing the moonwalk. <clears throat> and he could sing beautifully, whereas before he was a mute. So I'm, you're operating in a lot of power, Bartholomew, but clearly I'm greater in the kingdom. And then old John the Beloved joins the conversation, and he's like, Bartholomew, Matthew, I'm... I'm actually humbled to be part of a community like this with you guys, and I rejoice with you greatly, but, but when I went out, <clears throat> I, uh, I was going to preach the, the gospel near the pool of Siloam, and, and I got so into the spirit that I didn't even realize I was walking close to the edge. And I stepped off the edge right onto the water and walked on the water before all the eyes of the marketplace. Visible light began shining from my body, and 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus. <clears throat> so whereas you growing out an arm and you making a legless man do the moonwalk are amazing, it's clear that I'm greater in the kingdom. <clears throat> What kind of behavior would you call that? Arrogant, yeah, pride, just ridiculous competition, 
Anybody ever been rebuked by the Lord for pride before? Don't you think Jesus should rebuke these guys? I mean, this is his A-team. I mean, it would be like... It'd be like me and, and, and Tracy and Matthew arguing about, who, you know, who should, who's the better speaker because which one of us has more miracles, you know? That's ridiculous. Someone needs to rebuke these people. So they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for he who is the least among you, he is the greatest. What were they arguing about? Who is the greatest? What did Jesus just explain to them how to be? How to be the greatest. He didn't even rebuke them. He said, the desire to be great is amazing. It's from the Lord. It's because your father's great. And then he gave them the formula for how to become great because he loves them. He said, become like a child. So Jesus has given this incredibly wise teaching. I mean, he's really uh, unveiling a, a secret, a, a, you know, wisdom and revelation right here. And he may have even been able, like, he, he, he may have actually been launching into a teaching. But right after he says... Uh, for he who is least among you, he is the greatest. Master, said John. <laughs> we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. John the Beloved interrupts the rabbi in one of his greatest teachings yet and says, Master, There's some guy trying to operate in the power that you gave us, but he's not one of us, so I stopped him. You're welcome. (laughs) Now, you got to think about men in general. These guys are just like normal men. We, you know, we're... We're trying to find our place in life. We're trying to be you know, affirmed by our fathers and, and really know who we are and, and our place in life. And these guys are no different. So John and Peter and James and the rest of them, they all are called out by name, by Jesus, given a place in the most powerful community the world's ever seen with the most powerful rabbi in the history. It's the Son of God himself, and, they think, and he thinks that they are special. Jesus places his power on them, he hangs out with them, gives them his nature, and now they're going out displaying a kingdom. And so John, still being a carnal man, is thinking, my identity comes from me being this person that operates in power. My identity comes from me being in this community and what I can do. And some outsider is trying to do the things only we're supposed to be able to do. You're not part of our group, sir. What would you call that kind of behavior? Elitism, insecurity. This is the guy that gets the book of Revelation. Should he not, therefore, be rebuked for this elitism and pride? 
This is, I mean, this is Christianity 101, right? I love Steve Thompson. He says this, <laughs> cracks me up every time. Christianity 101, John, demons in people, bad. Demons out of people, good. <laughs> John, we want the demons out of people. But Jesus doesn't do that. Let's see what, he's, let's see what he says. Uh, don't stop him. Whoever's not against you is for you. Huh. Jesus, I was hoping you'd bring the hammer there. That was a great teaching moment. This is the guy that was just on the mountain. This is the guy that just saw Jesus transfigured. Moses and Elijah talking. Guys, what's happening here? These men are forgetting how to hide. They're forgetting that they're supposed to hide, stuff like that. It's not socially acceptable to manifest elitism and pride and competition like that, especially in front of Jesus. He's your leader. But they've come into a community where Jesus is so accepting, so free, so fun, that they are forgetting how to hide because they're so used to being themselves. This stuff is manifesting because of the kindness of Jesus. And Jesus is getting excited. He's not rebuking them. He's getting excited because it's coming out. Guys, when stuff manifests, it doesn't mean that it's going in. It means it's coming out. It means it's losing its power. Do you know that Satan is empowered by his ability to hide? That's, that's the trick he pulled off in, in America. Most of America doesn't think anything about the spirit realm. They don't think that Satan is real. He's empowered by his ability to hide. And so when you see people manifesting demons or manifesting wounds or false ideologies about their character or the personality, when they're manifesting these things, it means that Satan is losing his power. Come on. And it's coming out. And Jesus is getting excited. This is verse 51. As time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead of him, who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now, there's a whole backstory about why the Jews don't like the Samaritans. They think they're like a weird half-breed cult and like totally left the teachings of, of, of Moses. But um, and so there is actual um, racism between Samaritans and Jews. And so Jesus and his posse are up north, and they've got to go down to Jerusalem. They're, they're heading south, and they have to go through parts of like a Samaritan village. And Jesus usually sends on a crew ahead of him to prepare like a place for them to land, you know, just like we would go, you know, make sure there's a hotel room ready for a, a speaker coming into town, Okay. And so Jesus sends out the forerunner posse to go get the Samaritan village prepared to find a place for Jesus, and no one would have him. The Samaritans are like, mm-mm, get out of our town. You're Jews. You're, go- you're even going to Jerusalem to worship or something. Get- no. <clears throat> Verse 54, when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? (laughs) 
That would be uh, murder, right, James, John? You're asking me for permission to murder people? Is that what I'm picking up here? So what you're saying is you want to use the power that I gave you to heal, reveal, save, raise the dead. You want to use the power that I gave you to help people to kill people? Is that just getting this right? Right, James, John? <laughs> what would you call that? Murder, right? I mean, <laughs> racism. Murdering someone of a race that you don't like. A hate crime. This is James and John, the leaders of the church. Jesus is a team. Now, at, the, at this moment, <clears throat> Jesus, if he was you know, anything like a, a normal business leader or, uh, you know, just most any church leader today that's, you know, used to managing people, he would sit down his crew and, and say, guys, I've made a mistake here. Um, I gave you my power way too quick. Uh, you, you weren't ready for it. You've been arguing about who is the greatest. You've you're trying to keep people from casting demons out of you know, the people that I love, and now you want to murder people. How am I supposed to start a church with you guys? Clear, I, I, really, I blame myself. I, I should have slowed down. We're going back to the Sermon on the Mount. Break out your scrolls. It's study time. It's restoration time. Like we're, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take my power away for about you know, four months until I feel like you're ready to operate in my name again. Don't you think that they would get rebuked for this stuff? Jesus turned and rebuked them. Hallelujah, Jesus, it's about time. Uh, This is what he says to him when he rebukes him. You do not know what kind of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Now, this is a serious character flaw in his disciples, right? So the logical thing would be to go after their character and integrity and say, dude, your integrity is really lacking. You're asking me if you can murder people. This is is a a big problem that I see. But he didn't go after their character at all. The first words out of his mouth are, you do not know. Doesn't that sound familiar? Where else did he say that from? cross. They don't know what they're doing. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. See, because Jesus saw the innocent boys, the sons of God, inside of those men. And he even saw the reason why they were acting out. It's probably because James and John were, you know, toughened up by, by family members, by, you know, verbal abuse or, 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 you know, they were just like normal men. They had to work their own way. They had to make a name for themselves. They had to provide for their families by the sweat of their brow. They had to, they had to make sure they defended themselves when someone tried to come and take something from them. And in this moment, Jesus is revealing 
He's revealing true mercy and compassion by saying, you wouldn't be acting like this had all this not happened to you. Are you ready to give that up? You don't know what spirit you're on. Who was on the mountain with Jesus and Peter, James, and John? Where did he get this idea to call down fire from heaven? Who was on the mountain? Elijah. What did Elijah do when he ran into trouble? He called down fire from heaven and destroyed people. Jesus is saying, we're not operating like Elijah anymore, people. Who else was on that mountain? Moses. Do you know what kept Moses out of the promised land? When all the Israelites were without water in the middle of the desert, they were complaining and grumbling. And Moses and Aaron, I'm sure they were sick of all this complaining and grumbling, but they went in before the Lord, and the Lord said to him, Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to take your staff stand before you know, the assembly, and I want you to speak to this specific rock right here. I just want you to speak to this rock, Moses, and I'm going to cause water to come out of it for all of Israel to drink. Now, they had cattle, pregnant women. I mean, this was a dire situation. They've gone days without water. And so God wants to provide water for his people. So Moses gathers the assembly together. He takes his staff out there with him. And he says, here now, Israel, shall I now make water come forth from this rock, you rebellious people? And he strikes the rock twice, and water comes out, because God loves his people. But God pulled Moses aside after that and said, because you did not uphold me as holy before the eyes of the people, you will not enter the promised land. In other words, I wanted to give water to my people, and you went out there and portrayed me as angry and impatient and violent. You struck that rock. What I wanted you to do, Moses, is speak to the rock and cause water to come forth, but you struck it. So Moses, he represents the law. He's the one that got the law. He, I mean, he, he represents the law. Elijah, he represents the prophets. And so Jesus is on the mountain with the law and the prophets and the law and the prophets have come to serve him. They've come to this mountain to point to Jesus. The disciples operated in the spirit of Moses when they were you know, being angry with people, portraying God as harsh They operated in the spirit of Elijah, wanting to call down fire from heaven. And Jesus says, that book is closed. They were there to point to me. I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. 
And he said, if you continue to, to use the law, all you're going to be doing is beating people's hearts, trying to get water to come out of it. But I've come to speak gently to hearts. I'm going to speak gently to hearts and water's going to come out of them. That's John 7. So after all of this, after Jesus' leadership team is falling apart publicly, Jesus is so excited about the outcome that a couple verses later, this is Luke 10, verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he's about to go. Did you mute this one? So it's still going? So it's not this? That's, that's the problem? Okay, I'll just keep looking at this stuff. The Lord rejoices over us with humming. <clears throat> so Jesus has his 12 go out, make a mess of things, manifest pride, elitism, murder, racism. And he's so excited about the outcome. He picks 72 other people that he's had less time around. Hey, he's picked 72 other people that he's had less time around, less time to, to pastor and cultivate, put his nature in. He picks 72 other people that he probably maybe trusts less, you know, because he doesn't know them all that well. And he says, hey, go use my name. Go out into the city and tell them I sent you. Go out. And Jesus is not concerned about the mess that these people are going to make. He's not even concerned if they're going to represent his name horribly. He empowers them and sends them out to go preach the kingdom. And he demonstrates that the way to, to, to sanctification is in a community of transparency and acceptance. Side note, who wrote, you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God? James. He got it. And we think, Jesus, your leadership style is, is horrible. You really need to, you know, you really need to correct. When, when you see something manifest, you need to just nip it in the bud. But no, Jesus lets it grow, lets it come out, lets it get exposed. Because he sees that they're actually getting free, that his kindness works. You want to know why grace empowers us? Here's why. Because we screw up and Jesus forgives us. And we screw up and Jesus forgives us. And we screw up and Jesus forgives us. And we screw up and we screw up and we screw up and we screw up until one day we realize, oh my gosh, for years I've been a jerk and Jesus hasn't been mean to me. That's a leader that I can follow. That's a king that loves. He drew it out of me with his kindness. 
David, the most powerful king in the history of Israel, who is just, he was a force to be reckoned with out on the battlefield. He had a team of, three, you know, of his mighty men who were skillful with all the weapons of warfare. He, and, and so he becomes this great king. And at the end of his life, the last psalm, his last testament, his epitaph for his life, he says, you have made me great, Jesus, because. You have made me great, God, because. And if he was a powerful king, you know, something that would have made him greater, you know, his armies, his strategy, the way that he was able to manage his nation, you've made me great. But he says, your gentleness has made me great. At the end of David's life, that's what he leaves us with. You're so gentle, God. The only reason I'm great is because you didn't give up on me. It wasn't my strategy. It wasn't how good I was at doing this or that or how many times I read the word. Your gentleness has made me great. The behavior that the disciples were um, displaying is unacceptable. That's why Jesus dealt with it the way he did. He knew that he would draw it out through patience, kindness, forgiveness. That he would attribute all of their, the reasons that they're screwing up this one reason they don't really know what they're doing, Father. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that's how he dealt with it. And that's how he deals with us. The law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament was a question for which Jesus is the answer. And the Father sent Moses and Elijah from the great cloud of witnesses to come display that these are just, these are people who serve this person. They've come to prepare him. They've come to encourage him. He's about to give, you know, lay down his life in a horrible way. It's about to happen. The law and the prophets came to encourage Jesus. To serve him. <clears throat> So I think one of the reasons uh, why we af- have trouble being ourselves is because we're afraid uh, that at the end of it is going to be a harsh lesson, or we, we, we got a little bit too free. Um, and a lot of us said that the Lord's rebuked us for our pride and our elitism. He's probably rebuked us for wanting to murder someone before. Um, but could it be that the, uh, the accuser was masquerading as the Holy Spirit in some of those instances, not portraying the heart of Jesus as kind and gentle and patient? And we've been beating ourselves up, afraid to move, crippled by fear, 
You think that's, that, that could be possible for some of us? Yeah. So let's, uh, let's stand and pray.